as Pastor uh, mentioned, when he went to Sri Lanka, he went up to the uh, hill country of Sri Lanka, and I, I can't remember what, what year you would have come, Pastor. Uh, you said you went to Pastor Shankar's ministry. There was a young man out of uh, Pastor Shankar's ministry named, Pastor, named Brother Anand, and he actually, as said in the video, started another church kind of in that area um, outside of, of where Pastor Shankar was. Anyway, that church has been going for around seven, eight years now. And um, while, while Abby and I were over there um, during our internship at Southwest, we, we had the chance to go to Sri Lanka for a month. And one of the things really that just struck us while we were over there is a big part of the ministry up there in the tea plantation is Pastor Anand will hold these Bible clubs. Literally, um, you can walk into a village there and you can, you can take a soccer ball or a cricket bat and a cricket ball, and kids will just come out of, of everywhere. Like, you'll have 100 kids, you know, in five minutes. And, and you can hold, hold Bible clubs. And it's on, honestly a great way just to have a lot of people hear the gospel at one time. So Pastor Anand will, has three young men in his church and then a young lady and then his wife. They hold about six or seven, I believe, different Bible clubs per week. And so while we were with them up there, Abby and I got to go to this plantation that they had never been to before. And it was the same thing. We started with games, singing, and I would say probably over 60, 70 people there. And um, they heard the gospel. Many of them received Christ as their Savior. And uh, they said, Pastor Anand, can you come back on a weekly basis and teach us you know, about the Bible, about God's Word. We, we want to hear more about this, you know. And honestly, he said, we don't have enough people to come back on a weekly basis. It was about a two-hour drive from where they were, um, or maybe an hour and a half, something like that. And he said, honestly, they just didn't have the man- manpower. And it brought that verse into perspective, Matthew nine thirty-eight: The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And that was something that the Lord just, worked on Abby and I's heart at a specific time just to see. People here, they want to know. They want to know God's Word. They want to learn more about it, but there's not even the manpower. There's not enough laborers. And so if you'd, you'd pray for us, um, Abby and I, as, as the video said, we met at a college camp up in Colorado, and um, we had the internship at Southwest, and then we've recently started deputation, And the part of Sri Lanka that we're praying about is the southern province of Sri Lanka, a city called Gaul, really just a stronghold of Buddhism. Uh, Sri Lanka's main religion, uh, majority religion, around 70% would be Buddhist, then Hindu, then Muslim. But honestly, um, you saw those young men in orange robes there in the video. Those are Buddhist monks. They basically almost rule that southern province of Sri Lanka. So really, it's really going to take the hand of God um, for that to happen, for us to get down there. But uh, what we feel that God has laid on our heart is to go in on a business visa. And what my dad has over there is a structure uh, called the Character Precepts Training Institute, basically taking character precepts straight from God's Word, honesty, uh, truthfulness, gratitude, you know, uh, different, different character traits, taking that into businesses and schools getting a one-on-one relationship with people and sharing the gospel that way because uh, 
having a church down there would be almost like having an underground church in China. We have to you know, keep things off the web, off the internet. Um, we can't have a sign out front. We can't do all those things. So it has to be a little bit more discreet. But if you just pray for us, um, we believe that the Lord has laid that on our heart and our plan on arrival is to work uh, either either with my parents or as, as Brother uh, Pastorino said, the Hetzers and Landys over there. There's a lot of things going on in Sri Lanka right now. We're excited about everybody coming in. And it's an awesome thing to see just, just the laborers, the, the Hetzer family and the, and the Landy family, just two great, great, awesome families um, to, to have over there. And we're, we're excited about it. But if you'd pray, pray with us about those things. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. Philippians chapter 2. And I, I do appreciate the opportunity to preach, Pastorino, literally uh, last minute <laughs> Um, uh, today and, and yesterday talking about it a little bit, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to do this tonight. Before we get into the text, let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for those who have been faithful tonight, Lord, with all the different things going on in life, just to take out time and to come to your house, to hear your word and to pray and to come before you, Lord. And Pray as we hear the message tonight that uh, you'd fill me with the Spirit. Please empty me of myself. I just pray that we would hear from your word what you would have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now go back to Philippians 1 and verse, uh, verse number 27. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul has this idea of, of unity and of, of like-mindedness continuing from, from chapter 1, and, and here it comes into, into, into Philippians chapter 2. And you think about maybe a, a sports team tonight, you think about a, a basketball team or a football team. To have a successful team, those players have to work together. They have to have that, that chemistry, whether they're going to score a touchdown, whether they're going to score a basket, they have to be able to play with each other. They have, to, they have to know how to work with each other. The same thing goes for a company. If you're going to have a successful company, that company has to have employees that are, are, are going to work together. They can't have one person going off and doing their own thing or embezzling money. That, that company is going to do, go down quickly. Same thing goes for a government. Our, our United States government was, was designed where where the branches would check out each other and that government would, would work with one another to help the citizens of our land. And if it's true for a sports team, a company, and a government, then how much more is it true for a local body of believers that were to have that, that like-mindedness, that, that unity, that one-accordedness? What does it really mean to be in unity? What does it mean to be of the same mind as it says there uh, in verse number two, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind? It means that we're to be going in the same direction spiritually. As it said in verse number 27 of, of Philippians 1, we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
And there, there, there's some people here tonight, maybe you've just been saved this year. Maybe you've been saved since you were a kid. That's not the point tonight. The point is what direction are you going in your spiritual life? Because there can be friction among believers when we're going in different directions, but it's when we're striving together for the faith of the gospel that we're going to have that, that unity, that, that, one, that one spirit, that one mind. The word mind there in verse number two, it literally means to be disposed in a certain direction. It means to, to set the affection on. That brings to my mind Colossians Chapter 3, verse 2, that says, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Is our mind on things above or things below? Because whatever we're setting our affection on is going to determine the direction that we take. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now. You flip on the news. Uh, we, we heard some prayer requests tonight about different situations in people's life, about vaccine mandates and all the things that COVID has done. And you, you look at the things going on in Afghanistan. You look at everything going on in the world. And our life can begin to seem like, man, I got to do this over here and I got to think about this over here. And if we're not careful, our affection starts coming down here right here to earth, and we're, our affection is set on things below, not on things above. We start forgetting about our walk with God. We, we start forgetting about our, our prayer time, our Bible reading. We can come to church, and we can just go through the motions, but, man, it's not real. Our mind is set on things below, not on things above. If you look in verse number 3 of our text, it says, Verse number three of Philippians two, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. There can be strife when there is pride in our lives. My, uh, my wife, Abigail, grew up with nine siblings I only grew up with three. That's, that's a lot different, but my, uh, my next sibling up from me is, is 12 years older than me. And my brother, uh, he, he left home when I was uh, just a young kid, but growing up even a little bit with him, I was, I was always had it in my mind, one day I'm going to take down my brother in a wrestling match. I don't care how big he is. I don't care how strong he is. I'm going to take him down. And that, that, was like, that was like my life's goal in a certain part of my life. So so I was looking for that perfect opportunity, and one day it came. One day, Jonathan was, was just walking along, minding his own business, and here I was behind him. I said, here it is. Here's the moment. So I came up behind him, and I, and I got him by the neck, and I said, all right, I got you in a headlock. You got to tap out. But he just flipped me over on my back, and I was the one who had to tap out because he got me in a headlock. So pride brought strife in that situation, and there was also times where my sisters got me to tap out too, but I won't mention that tonight. <laughs> but when we as Christians, when we're competing for some kind of status, some kind of, uh, some kind of thing in life where, where we want people to look at us, and we have that pride, it's going to cause strife in our lives. When, when, when we're serving the Lord, when, when we're coming to church and, and we're doing all the things that, that, that we feel like we need to be doing, but yet we have that heart of pride. It's going to cause strife. During my time at Heartland, we would fill out something called a Christian service report. 
And we would say, okay, I went to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. I went to children's church. I, I served in the sixth grade or seventh grade, whatever it was. And then I went to Wednesday, and then I went to Saturday visitation. And honestly, I had to check my heart sometimes because sometimes I was showing up and saying, all right, my RAs see me, and my teachers see me, and pastor or the staff sees me, and, and I'm here, and I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but man, my heart wasn't in the right place. So many times we, we have to take a, a self-check because when we're serving the Lord, our, our heart can get out of the right place and we can have that heart of pride and I can say, I want this person to look at me and I, I want this person to look at me and I, I want to get a good pat on the back for, for being what I, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but where, what is our heart truly about and serving the Lord? What was the mind of Jesus when he was on this earth? I want to take you back to a time, come back to me with a time when, when Jesus was, was in that upper room with his 12 disciples. And this was just a few hours before he was to, uh, to, to, be, to be led uh, to, to, to Pilate and to, to, to be led to the cross of Calvary. Just a few moments, just a few hours. And he was up in that upper room. And he took a bucket of water. And he took a rag. And he got down. And he washed the disciples' feet. Now the disciples, they weren't walking on carpeted floors. They weren't wearing Nike tennis shoes. They weren't wearing dress shoes. These guys were wearing open-toed sandals. They were walking on dirt roads. Their feet were nasty. All right? But Jesus humbled himself. And he got down. And he washed their feet. And I know that, that you know this tonight. but Or at least I hope that you know this tonight. That, that Jesus is the Son of God. And he left his very throne in heaven and he humbled himself and came down here to earth. And you think about what he could have done. He, 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 he took on human flesh and he could have chose any home to be born into. He could have chose someone famous. He could have chose somebody that had a lot of wealth. He could have chose somebody whose billboard was everywhere, but he chose Joseph and Mary. Nobody was asking for their autograph. Jesus chose to be born into their home. Look at verse number 5 of Philippians 2. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse number seven says, Christ made himself of no reputation. That means when he came down to this earth, it wasn't anything about his own ego. It wasn't about him promoting himself. It wasn't anything about that. You look at Jesus Christ's life, and he was constantly saying, this is to glorify my Father which is in heaven. And he was constantly investing in the poor and the sick and those that needed to be healed. But more than that, he was investing in 12 men whose lives... Maybe it didn't seem promising. These men weren't wealthy or famous or anything. They didn't have any goodly earthly possessions, most of them. But Jesus was investing his life into them. And he emptied himself of his privileges there in heaven. And he took on flesh. And not only did he take on flesh, but verse number 8 says he became obedient unto death. There's going to come a time and everybody... But his life here tonight, where you're going to have to face death. 
You, me, we're all going to have to face death. Unless Christ comes back, of course, that would be awesome, but we're going to have to face it. That's, that's not a choice that we have. That's not something where we can pay somebody and say, hey, I, I don't want to face death. No, it's going to come. But you know what? It was an option for Jesus Christ. He never had to face death. It was something that he chose. It was something that when he took upon human flesh, he said, I, I'm going to face death and I'm going to do it. He's going to, he did it for you and for me. Not only did he face death, but verse number eight says, even the death of the cross. The worst death that any would have, anybody could have faced during a time of Roman rule. To be, to be stripped of his clothes, to be beat on the back with, with lashes, to have a crown of thorns placed on his head, to be nailed to a cross in front of everybody. To be shamed in a way that was very humbling. He faced that for you and for me. And then I look at my own life and I think about the mindset that I can have. And I, I can sometimes, in my own Christian life, I'm going to do a bit of confessing here tonight. I can have an attitude of entitlement. And I can say, Lord, I, I come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And, and Lord, I, I, I try to pass out tracts for you. And I try to tell people about the gospel. And Lord, we're, we're going to the mission field. We're getting on deputation. And and Lord, it would be nice if, if our car could run right. It would be nice if the bills could be paid. It would be nice if, if we had good health. And it would be nice if this and this and this. And the attitude of entitlement, if we're not careful, can start setting in in our Christian lives. And we forget about what Christ did for us. We forget that he, he sacrificed everything. He emptied himself of his privileges. He made himself of no reputation. But in all of this... The ultimate plan of God is that one day every knee is going to bow to Christ and every tongue is going to proclaim that that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at verse number 9. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly given, sorry, also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you, you read that and, and you look at things in the world right now and you're saying, well, is this even possible? People are bound to all kinds of things right now. Over on the other side of the world, they're bound to statues of Buddha. They're bound to, uh, at a Muslim mosque, they're bound to over 300 million Hindu gods, if they're a Hindu. In America, they're, they're bound to prosperity, to wealth, to fame, to success. But one day, everybody is going to bow to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether they're in Sri Lanka. It doesn't matter whether they're in India. It doesn't matter whether they're in Puyallup, Washington, or Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. They're going to bow to Jesus Christ. They're going to bow their knee. They're going to confess Him as Lord. They're going to exalt Him. It doesn't matter if they were a president of a nation. It doesn't matter whether they worked at Walmart. It doesn't matter who they were on this earth. They're going to acknowledge that He is Lord. Muhammad himself, Buddha himself, will acknowledge him. That's a great thought, but it's also a very sobering thought. Because think about the people in your life. Think about the, the names that maybe were mentioned a few minutes ago, who, who they need Christ, and they're not bowing to him right now. And, and those co-workers that you have, and, and those lost family members that you have, and, and they're not bowing to Jesus Christ right now. Think about them on that day. 
it's going to be a terrible day for them. And that provokes us to the question, how can we as believers who know who Jesus Christ is, how can we start pointing the lost to him and saying, hey, you're bound to a lot of things right now. You're bound to your job and to wealth and to your bank account. And you're bound to all these things, but they're going to burn up one day. And Jesus Christ is the one who, who needs to be exalted. He's the one who's in charge here. He's the one who, 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 who needs ultimate glory and honor. He's the one who died on a cross for you. You need to be bound to Him right now. How can we as believers make sure that we are exalting Christ now? How can we as believers, how can we as, as Christians, the, the, the people with the name Christian on us, how can we point the lost to Christ now? Well, look at verse number 15. Verse number 15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You see, we... As believers, we're to have that unity, we're, we're to have that like-mindedness, we're to be striving together for the faith of the gospel, we're to have the mind of Christ so that our lives can shine forth as lights into a dark world. It says in verse number 15 that we live in a crooked and perverse nation, and I think if any of you turn on the news or if any of you, if you, any of you just live life, you can say yes. We live in a crooked and a perverse nation. We need to be shining as lights. We need to, we need to have that, that mindset of Christ because we as believers, we as Christians, we have one of two options. We're going to neither exalt the name of Jesus Christ and we're going to bring glory to His name. We're going to bring shame and a disgrace to His name. You think about trying to go to Walmart and having a bad attitude and saying, man, I'm here in the line and Oh, it's taken forever. And then you get up to the cash register and say, hey, I'd like to invite you to Brian Baptist Church on Sunday. It just doesn't work out too well. Believe me, I've tried it. <laughs> or you think, about, you think about the coworkers that you have and the attitude that, 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 that you have on a daily basis at, at work. And the way that you live your life will many times either point people to Christ and say, wow, if that's who a Christian is, I want to see more of that. I, I want to know where they're getting that from. I, I want to find out about what has changed their life. Or they're going to say, if that's a Christian, man, I don't want anything to do with them. My life is already like that. The way that we live our life from day to day will truly many times affect how unbelievers, how the lost, view the name of Jesus Christ. In Sri Lanka, in the 1040 window, it's very easy to distinguish the light from the darkness. They, they worship um, gods of wood, gods of stone. And you meet Sri Lankans, and Pastorino will probably tell you they're very hospitable people. They'll invite you to their house. They'll give you food to eat. You can be there for, for an hour and a half talking to them. They're very nice people. But once you get to know them, man, there's something missing in their life. Many of them have said that after they got saved, they said, it was just like something was, was missing in my life. Unbelievers are so influenced by the darkness there in the 1040 window that you can see it on their faces sometimes. You can see it in their life, just the oppression that's there. All they have to turn to are statues of wood, stone, 
They don't have a hope for eternity. They're blinded by the God of this world. And it's essential that believers in that part of the world have the mind of Christ to be a shining light there. There's a lady in the church in in Colombo named Mrs. Lucky. You may have met her while you were there, Pastor, but Mrs. Lucky grew up a Buddhist. And uh, as a teenage girl, she would take flowers to the temple. She would take her coins to the temple. She would pour out her, her heart to the Buddhist statue. And she said, as, even as a teenager, she said, there's something missing in my life. There's, there's something more to life than just coming to the temple and doing all these things and going through these rituals. Well, she went throughout her life and she got into her early 20s and she got a job with the national airline, Sri Lankan Airlines. She started working for them. And there's these two other ladies there who went to Colombo Bible Baptist Church. And they started witnessing to Mrs. Lucky. And Mrs. Lucky came to church and she brought her two daughters and she got saved. And she said, this is what's, this is what's been missing in my life. This is, this is what I needed. It was Jesus Christ. Her testimony is awesome. And I remember going to uh, Sunday school with her young daughters. There's only one problem. Her husband was an unsaved man. And he wasn't abusive towards her. He, he didn't do anything like that. But, but Mrs. Lucky just kept coming to church. She kept um, loving on him, loving on her daughters, being faithful in the word, having a faithful testimony. And finally, I believe it was after 10 years, he came to church and he got saved. And today he's a deacon there in Colombo Wild Baptist Church. I can see the other side of that. I can see what if Mrs. Lucky had, had lived her life and said, you know what, to her husband, I don't want anything to do with you and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm, I'm going to do what I want and go to church and, and just not have that mindset of humility, I would say he probably never, never would have come to church and got saved. That just goes to show the difference between our light shining or not can be the difference between somebody going to heaven or somebody going to hell. Here in America, we've been long identified as a Christian nation, but more and more it seems like we've come a long way from that. You can see, you, you can turn on the TV and you can, you can see a so-called Christian channel and there will be a, a, some kind of preacher up there that will say, you know what, if you just serve God, He'll give you anything you want in life and call this 1-800 number and give us your $100 and everything will be okay. That's not biblical Christianity. And then you see, you see Hinduism coming into our own nation. You see, you see Islam coming into our own nation. You see Muslim mosque. It's almost like the 1040 window is moving to America. Darkness is setting in to our land. It's getting darker and darker, which means that it's getting easier and easier to see the light, to set the light from the darkness. You know, the other day, um, not the other day, I don't know why I always think it's the other day, several months ago, it felt like the other day, Abby and I were at the DMV, and I don't know if anybody here likes to go to the DMV. I personally don't. Down in Oklahoma, it's very slow. I don't know how, here, how it is in Washington, but we were there from 5.30 in the morning till 10.30 in the morning, just waiting, just standing in line. Not how I wanted to spend my morning, but uh, it's what happened. We were just standing there in line, and there's this older gentleman, and he came up to the cash register, and he, he said, today is... He, he, he literally was like this. He was like, today is an awesome day, and, and I just love living life, and man, I'm so happy to be here. And everybody was just kind of staring at him like, do you know where you are? You're at the DMV, you know. 
It's not exciting. And he started telling the lady how he just had a bypass surgery and how the doctors told him he may only have two or three months left to live this life. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live it the best that I know how. And right then, the, the Holy Spirit pricked my heart and said, you need to give that guy a track. This was, this was during our internship at Southwest. And I had some Southwest tracks in my pocket, but I was fighting it. And I was like, man, I, j- I just want to get this over with. I want to get this license. I want to get home, go on about our day. And then I feel a bump from my wife, Abby. She's like, hey, you need to give that guy a track. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm fighting it a little, but he goes out to his car, and I follow him, and I said, pull out a gospel track, and I said, hey, I don't got an answer for your health problems, but here's an answer for eternity. And he just started breaking down crying. He, he said, I, I was raised in church, and he started explaining his background. And he came to Southwest the next two Sundays. And praise the Lord for that. But we're still witnessing to him. His name is Robert. Just goes to show you never know how the Lord is going to work in your life. You're in a mission field right here in Washington. You never know whether it's at the gas station, whether it's at the coffee shop, whether it's at the grocery store. You never know who the Lord is going to lay on your heart. And it's essential that you have the mind of Christ in that moment to say, Lord, I don't care if it's going to, if it's going to be a little awkward or embarrassing to approach this person. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Maybe you have family members who, who you've been working on for a long time. You've been telling them about the gospel like Mrs. Lucky did. And you're saying, they're not listening. They don't even care about what I have to say. They don't care about God. I encourage you tonight, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Have that mind of Christ. Keep being a witness and keep being a witness to them. They need to see that faithful, shining light in your life. It's essential that we have the mind of Christ in a crisis world so that Christ can be exalted through our life and so that we can shine His lights whether it's on the other side of the world, whether it's right here in our own country, wherever it is, so that the light can dispel into darkness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just pray that you would have spoken through your word tonight. And Lord, we, each and every one of us need your help to be shining lights, to have the mind of Christ, Lord, to, so that we can be a witness to those who are around us, Lord. I just pray you'd even lay somebody on our heart, Lord, to to witness to even a specific name tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.